Hello and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast, bringing you another review show. This episode we're going to be picking out the best titles from September 2023. The picks that we thought were uh, the creme de la creme of the comic releases in that month. So your host as always, Alan, from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. I'm joined as always by Mr. Keith Miller. Stop reading your bone book and uh, say hello. Hello, hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. It's a sign of a good book when you can't put it down. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, but you've, you've given away my first uh, my first review, well, which you know was not the first review because you, you have the first review. Well, I, I do have the first one down, but you see, you're not allowed to talk about that book much anyway because I haven't read it. Ah, okay, well, I'll, I'll do my best. You see, you have, to, you have to dance around the old spoilers here. I mean, as ever with these reviews pods, you know, spoilers are quite abundant. I might have even forgot to say it in previous episodes, but uh, spoilers are always abundant, but again, that's kind of the the joy of doing these a little bit removed from when the titles were released, because at least that way, you've had time to catch up, get through your own pull list, yeah. and uh, I mean, I think even you've read all of September's. Uh, yes, yes, I have read all of September's. Uh, the reference you're making is to the fact that I am a little bit behind, a little bit. Uh, <coughs> thanks to work uh, taking me away to... Not not so far away places, uh, usually within within uh, the UK. Uh, they require a plane ride. They do, they do. And I tend to pack quite light, and I'm usually able to fit about 10 books in, but the problem is that I'll go away for three or four days, and because I'm sort of fairly flat out, I'll take the books with me, I'll put them on the bedside table in the hotel, then whenever I leave, I'll pick them up again, put them back in my bag, bring them home. So the books are well-travelled, if not read. They are, yeah, absolutely. So... I should learn, but uh, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm heading off to Manchester tomorrow for a couple of days for work, and I may uh, take some books with me because I am. Let me see. It was new comic book today, new comic book day today, um, and I picked up uh, my pull list as uh, every good, uh, every every good customer of an independent uh, local comic book store should. Uh, picked up my pull list and paid for it as quickly as possible, uh, but. I haven't read last week's pull list yet, and I have just started the previous weeks. Uh, and today was a big pile of stuff. So what you're saying is it's going to be at least four to five weeks before we do October's reviews pod. No, I I think I think we'll get in there. I've got uh I've got some holidays coming up, and I've got some time off in lieu coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a few days, so I should uh, should be able to dig into some. Uh, just need to sit down in that comfortable seat downstairs and just with a pile of books beside me. and That uh, oh, is a comfy seat. And maybe a wee whiskey or a wee coffee or something and just get into it. Well, this is true. This is true. So, uh, But yeah, no, we're going to be going through the September books, as I say. So September was a, a four-month release week. Um, you know, some months Four-week are... release month? Four-week release month. That's, <laughs> that's what you're here for. Uh, a four-week release month. You know, certain months can sometimes veer into five weeks worth of releases so there's more to choose from so we have all we we have been looking at our pulls recently and trying to trim here and there and keep it more manageable but <clears throat> there's a there's a, a constant sort of a thing where they keep releasing new the new number ones and new issues and then you have to sort of stay aware of it and keep on top of it and i'm at the at the end where i need to trim again well thankfully there's there's quite a few good titles coming to an end miniseries stuff like that but as you say the problem is then more good stuff comes yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of quality coming out of the moment. There really is. And uh, I actually had a very even month this month. You know, So I kicked off September with uh, 84 titles on my pull list. So that's an average of 21 a week. How do you like that math? Uh, 25 <laughs> of those were DC. 23 was Marvel. So very, very close between the two, the big two. But as ever for me, Indie wins out with 36 indie books uh, 
taken this month. How about yourself? What were your uh, what's your breakdown? Uh, my breakdown. I've got seven seven more than you in total. I'm uh, ninety one books this month, this four week month. So that breaks down as less than twenty five every twenty. 2023 20, yeah, well we get suppose thereabouts so I definitely need to get that down below 20 a week uh, 22 is the golden m- number yeah, yeah because 22 means when you shop at coffee and heroes two of those issues are free I don't have to do any stamps well, so okay. see the environment so uh, 22 is the perfect number so 91 uh, of those 21 were DC 40 were Marvel and 30 were indie see technically you do have seven more titles than me so you win that battle but I win the war because <laughs> I have more DC than you and I have more indie than you so I went too well. Well, I mean, it's, it's just that you have double the amount. Of I was going to say in that case, you know, I have declared nuclear war. And, uh... <laughs> Are you trying to say that? Uh, yeah, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was a it was a great month, and again, tons of great jumping on points, tons of new number one series that are. Some titles, I would say, among the best of the year this month. Uh, it really uh, was yeah. a very rich month. You know, with DC, we were coming off the back of Night Terrors, so we were getting back to the dawn of DC stuff. We were having new titles launched. We were having Black Label series launching. We have one of my favourite Marvel characters getting a relaunch with a brand new creative team. and Not even a relaunch, a continuation really because uh, we'll certainly get into it. But the, it's more of a continuation of what came before rather than like a, a whole you know sweep the decks and start all over again. Uh, yeah, tons of great stuff to, to get through here I have to say. Mm-hmm. So Do you want to kick off? I'll kick us off, yeah. I mean it's... It's a good balance I've got here. I my, my picks of the month, well, I say a good balance, but you can't half tell that I was so happy to see DC back because three of my five picks are DC. Uh, and that includes the very first pick, which is something I don't believe you were on. No, uh, didn't didn't grab me. Didn't grab me. The, uh, the, the particular characters in it aren't, aren't, aren't just, for me... Um, core characters yeah. and uh, you know part of that that trimming process I guess that's completely fair I mean the the title we're talking about is Birds of Prey number one uh, it's written by Kelly Thompson and art by Leonardo Romero and yeah I mean I came to this with the most open of minds because Birds of Prey it's not usually a title I would go for however the old adage that we have of following creators is what led me here you know mm-hmm. Kelly Thompson making her way over to DC after years with Marvel and lots of great stuff there I think one of the most exciting artists in comics and Leonardo Romero on board. I knew I did have to pick up issue one at the very least. And of course, despite those trimming pull lists, number two will immediately follow because this was great. Uh, Really, really good stuff. So the main character or the main driving force, I should say, is Dina Lance, otherwise known as Black Canary. You know, she's one of the best hand-to-hand fighters in the DC universe. You know, she has stood beside gods and monsters and come out the other side, but... The whole crux of this book is that even she can't do everything alone. So the, the story is driven by the fact that her sister Sin is kidnapped. Uh, she knows she's going to need a team to help and luckily she has a lot of cool friends. However, this is an important story seed. Wonder Woman should not get wind of this mission. For reasons we will know to find out as the series progresses. So, But what's cool about this book is we're not just getting the tried and tested Birds of Prey team of series past. I will say that Harley Quinn feels a little shoehorned in there but... I suppose she's the window to this team for like those unfamiliar with the rest. Mm, okay. And if that means Big Barda, for example, gets more of a spotlight, that's all good with me because I love Big Barda uh, from the Mr. Miracle universe. And in addition to Black, Car- uh, Black Canary, Big Barda, Harley Quinn, we also have Cassandra Cain. Always a good title when you get the best Batgirl in there. She is... Uh 
She's busy at the minute. She is currently in Spirit World as yeah, well. Popping up in a few different yeah, books. Absolutely. Spirit World was in Batgirls, now in Birds of Prey. Uh, great character. Yeah, and uh, Barbara wants a wee word with your uh, best Batgirl comment. She does, but she's the, similar to how Nightwing <laughs> is the best character, but Damien is the best Robin. Barbara is the better character, but I split that between her time as Oracle and Batgirl. I can, yeah, fair that's Dick Grayson is the best character because he's great as Nightwing, he's great as Batman, he's great as Robin, but as a pure Robin and a Damien guy. <laughs> uh, and then there might even be a member of this team that actually has your interest. Oh, please. Uh, Zealot runs oh, out this team. From Wildcats. From Wildcats. Also busy at the moment, although yeah, that series yeah. is coming to an end, hopefully. Just a, a, just a bit of a rest. Just a pause. Yeah. Yeah, like just Elvis just taking a break. Yeah. In other words, basically, this is not a team you want to mess with. And, uh, What's cool about this book is, you know, with regards to the mission, you know, this is no Suicide Squad team, you know, this is no by all means necessary kind of strike team, but the idea being simple extraction of the target, no bloodshed, get in, get out, if possible, without detection. However, as we all know, simple doesn't always mean easy. So if these ladies need to throw down, then that's no problem as well. But yeah, the main takeaway from this book, it's just fun. You know, the writing, it's clear, it's witty. There's great chemistry between the team and every voice sounds like a real developed character rather than a soundbite or a plot device. You know, the tone of this book would remind me of something like uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, uh, G. Will Wilson's Miss Marvel. It's got that sort of chemistry tone. The art by Leonardo Romero is definitely one of the big draws of the book. You know, fast-paced, dynamic, outside-the-box layouts and great action sequences. Uh, fights sprawl across pages, but they're also very easy to follow given how many characters you're dealing with. And seeing what every character is up to. There's detailed expressions on each character. They let us know what they're thinking or feeling in the moment. And no stone is left unturned. It realizes a really rich detail and stylistic world where superheroes are the norm. So, I mean, I'm about to make possibly a contentious statement. But if this doesn't get you interested in this book, nothing will. Please do. Let's very quickly jump to the list of one of my favorite DC books. The tone and the style is very much on a par. Ooh. With Taylor Madonna's Nightwing. Right. I can't see more praise on it than that, you know. The stakes are hand personal, but it never loses sight of being fun. And isn't that what superhero comics are all about? Absolutely. Speaking of which, have you seen the cover of Nightwing this week? What's Nightwing's one this week? Uh, oh, the parrot? Yeah, it's... Uh, They're uh, really leaning into the fact of Nightwing's <laughs> ass, like, yeah. aren't they? Stay for the such and such, or uh, come for the such and such, stay for Nightwing's pirate booty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. They just have such fun with that book. And that, that's what this reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. As I say, fun... Is at the forefront first and foremost. So yeah, yeah great book, Birds of Prey number one, my first pick from September. And well, what is yes. yours? Sticking with fun, uh, <clears throat> being at the core, uh, from Scholastic Books uh, and uh, and Cartoon Graphics. Uh, I would say you'll agree with me whenever I say that the only people who feel that they don't need more Jeff but Jeff Smith's bone in their lives are the sort of people who have never read Jeff Smith's bone. I think that's an accurate statement. Uh, and so what we've got uh, this month, uh, uh, the month of September, was the release of an original graphic novel uh, by Jeff Smith and uh, Tom Snigowski, uh, and that is Bone More Tall Tales. Now, uh, Jeff Smith, we very much hope that uh, he is doing well, recovering from yeah. uh, the cardiac arrest that he had in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cancelled his, uh, his book tour and, and whatnot, and... Uh, and uh, very much hope he's doing well. Tom Snigowski is uh, the only creator that Jeff Smith has ever given leave to uh, to work uh, on uh, original things mm-hmm. in the Bone Universe. Now there are other 
uh, other people, Stan Sakai and so forth, that, that work on the books. But uh, as a creator, I think, uh, you know, to or add original stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Thompson the Goat Gay. Now, he worked on um, a number of, of other uh, spin offs of Bone, which included uh, Tall Tales, the original Tall Tales. Mm -hmm. um, but, <clears throat> and, and yeah, so I mean, so let's talk about I don't know if you read the original Tall Tales? I have, yes. Yeah, so that, that story shows Smiley Bone. And Bartleby, who's the baby rat creature from mm -hmm. the the bone, uh, the bone series. Damn rat creatures! <laughs> stupid, stupid rat creatures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after the events of the main series, and it features them telling tall tales to the three bone brothers. That's Ringo, Bingo, and Todd, uh, who are the scouts. Um, and uh, tall tales, the original tall tales, was a repackaging of stupid, stupid rat rat tales, mm -hmm. which was the original book, um, and that was like it was released in two thousand ten, I think. So that. The, the spin-off, the original spin-off, Tall Tales, or Stupid Stupid Rat Tales, um, covered stories about Big Johnson Bone, who was a, like a, an ancestor of the Bone Cousins, uh, you know, and he had these old folk adventures, and he was almost like a superhero, um, and, you know, it was a time before the Cousins' adventures in the valley, and there was a short where uh, Phone and, Phone Bone and Phony Bone followed this treasure map, and I think Thorne had planted it because she wanted them to do the laundry or do the dishes or something. Mm -hmm. um, and there's one story that depicts Big Johnson Bone discovering in the valley his monkey, Mr. Pip. Uh, there is, uh, it all links back to the original the original series, you know. In the original, Bone Bartleby had mentioned that before the rat creatures, at a time before, they had long, beautiful, hairless tails. Uh, which were cut off whenever the rat creatures reach one year of age out of fear they'll be dragged away by a monster named Jack and then uh, it's revealed that that monster is actually a big Johnson bone uh, who swings them around with their tails and all sorts of stuff. But um, this uh, Mortal Tales continues in that, in that very tradition. So uh, in it, um, Smiley Bone, Phone Bone and their rat creature pal Bartleby take a group of young scouts to a legendary landmark that the Bone Cousins found when they were kids. They share stories around a campfire, spinning tales of trips to the moon, the delights of quiche. They imagine monsters, uh, an imagined monster comes to life, and they encounter with the encounters with the two stupid rat creatures, uh, gone hilariously wrong. So we've got, uh, we've got two vignettes uh, that, that start and finish. Um, uh, you know, Smiley Bone and the Bone Scouts that introduces the you know with Bartleby and guest starring Phone Bone, which is lovely. Um, and uh, a lot of these are written by Jeff Smith, some are written by Tom Snigoski. Um, the first tells a tale of whenever the bones were coming home from the valley and how they crashed their cart and... Uh, and uh, Oh, how beautiful is it, the same colour? Yeah, it's really lovely, isn't it? Uh, and you know, the, yeah, <laughs> you can get these in colour. But how they crashed, their, they crashed their cart, Bartleby was there for that, whenever they were coming home and uh, just uh, hilarity ensues, I suppose. Uh, as you might expect, uh, it was nice to see uh, Phony Bone and, <laughs> and Smiley Bone again, <laughs> you know, Phone Bone. Uh, so very, very cool. Uh, there's um, a great story about uh, how rat creatures uh, gained their love of quiche, in, uh, as told by Bartleby in Night of the Quiche. Uh, there's a tall tale about uh, the same two rat creatures as they try and kidnap a little pig called Riblet, uh, a really annoying pig, uh, really annoys his friends. Um, there's the story of the Crocagator and there's uh, the story of the Moon Goon in June, which is a story of uh, when Big, John Big Johnson Bone first went to the moon. Uh, so uh, there's some great stuff uh, in here. Um, you know, whenever they, they, 
well, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for you because you've, you you want to read it yourself. But uh, but yeah, absolutely. Just uh, highly recommend. Uh, there may be a guest appearance by a legendary bowman at the very very end. Um, but uh, yeah, you need to get your. But no spoilies. No, sir. You need to get your. Uh, you need to get your eyes uh, into that. Yeah. As you well know, I'm a, I'm a one graphic novel slash omnibus man at a time outside of the pull list. And uh, I'm currently finished off Ultimate X-Men. I have five issues to go. Yep. And when I get through that, that is actually next on my list well, because it'll be a quick read. It's, it's just a one-set read, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But it looks it looks absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it just does your heart good to get back to to get back to the the, the Bone Cousins, you know, and the, the world of Bone. And uh, yeah, uh, as I said, if you haven't if you haven't read Jeff Smith's Bone, <clears throat> just do yourself a favour, grab the one volume edition. And, uh, and just do it or for those with their Coffee Nero's bingo card what are you doing with your life <laughs> so yeah Bone was something I'd never read until uh, Keith consistently told me how it was one of the greatest things he had ever read and uh, yeah there's the, the reason I mention about colour is that there is a all in one massive deluxe huge tome of Bone but uh, it's in black and white uh, we both own that uh, edition, I believe. I but every it. month we look at the previews books. <laughs> every month we see the full colour edition. Every month it says not available in the UK. Yeah. So we're slightly tortured by that. <laughs> but it is a book, just like The Walking Dead, that works just as well in black and white oh, as it does it in colour. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, uh, yeah, that was Bone Mortal Tales. And we'll swing away from that and into the Marvel Universe with my next pick, which is Daredevil number one. So... All good things must come to an end. Uh, you know, we've been in a bit of a golden era of Daredevil, I think, recently. You know, a multi-year multi odyssey under the excellent guiding hands of Chip Zdarsky and mostly Marco Cicero on art. But a new creative team is now taking the reins. But we do still have the comfort of an excellent John Romita Jr. cover for issue one. I don't think anybody draws superheroes in the rain better than John Romita Jr. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's all changed. It's Saladin Ahmed taking over on writing with Aaron Cooter on art. Saladin Ahmed, great run on Miles Morales. Miles Morales, yeah. yes, indeed. Uh, mostly known for that, but definitely climbing the charts in Marvel in terms of importance and doing a few different titles. And uh, we're talking Daredevil number one, and I suppose the worry would have been that, you know, any time a new creative team comes on to a new number one, they want to establish their own tone. They want to set up what they want to work on. So sometimes they just sweep everything out from under the rug or sweep everything under the rug that came before and they set it up brand new. That's not the case here. Definitely not. You know, rather than establishing a brand new status quo and a complete overhaul, they have taken the wise move of continuing threads that the previous creative team left behind. And yep. for me, the title's all the stronger for it. I mean, it's, it's very much a jumping on point. You can still yep. jump on here as a new reader. But if you've been with Daredevil for a few years, it's also just a perfect yeah, continuation. It's, it's very much uh, a natural extension of what came before in the Zadarsky board, but it also takes a completely fresh approach. Very much so, yeah. very much so. And, you know, some slight spoilers for the end of the Zadarsky run. You know, Matt's adventures took him to the depths of hell, literally, and it ended in the ultimate sacrifice. You know, Matt surrendered his life to save his friends. The ultimate superhero sacrifice, as they will always mm. do. <coughs> and... Loved ones, including his wife, Electra, uh, was saved as well. But, of course, this is comics. We know no one ever really dies. The show must go on. There's monthly comics to release, so we have Matt in a different kind of perilous situation. Yeah, it's interesting, <coughs> though, because this situation, we're not sure how he got here. We're not sure 
Uh, we're not sure the how and the why of his release and return from hell. Um, <coughs> you know, but uh, yeah, at this point, it's basically a case of he is somehow alive. Yes, and he is somehow not quite himself, but also himself. Yeah, I mean, he's not operating as Daredevil, but he's now a man of the cloth. You yeah. know, religion's always played a big part in Daredevil. The idea of Catholic guilt, you know, Matt Murdock's always been a very religious man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in a way, this is a perfect natural extension for him if he's not, you know, running out in his Daredevil yeah, costume. He has, a, he has an entirely new life, as you say, as a, as a, the father of uh, St. Nicholas's youth home. Um, but does he does he fully remember who he is or who he was? Obviously not. I mean the I mean the other good thing we should mention as well. Obviously it's called Daredevil. That's because Electra is still Daredevil at this point, and mm. she's you know obviously Matt made the sacrifice with his life, but Electra's making the sacrifice as well. She knows Matt's alive. She sees what he's doing. He's got a certain level of peace being a man of the cloth, and she's not there to disturb that as well. So. The book's sort of split between the two, although I do think Matt's certainly the driving force. I mean, I think it's cool that um, that Salad and Ahmed has sort of respected that and, and continued that continuity of there being two devils in yeah. Hell's Kitchen, you know, for as long as that may last. Um, as opposed to Tom Keane spending 85 issues putting Batman and Catwoman together and then Tineen going, <laughs> no, you're done. <laughs> Off you go, Catwoman, you're leaving Gotham for a year. Well, sure, whatever. But, I mean, <laughs> you know... This is a double-sized issue. Yep. Uh, and it is definitely methodically paced. Uh, you know, through it, as we see Matt's old life start yeah. to see into the new one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. You know, it's you know, there's obviously this status quo change for Matt. As I say, he's a man of the cloth. You know, he's got a new mission, almost of delivering peace to the local community. I suppose, um, through religion, but it still feels like a daredevil story. You know. Matt may have swapped legal proceedings for sheltering orphans, but he still nails Murdoch's internal struggle between his moral code and his ceaseless desire to, to combat evil. I mean, as I say, the Catholic guilt is always a massive driving force in Daredevil stories, and it makes Matt constantly question and regret his actions. But I think Saladin has found a good balance here between yeah. his sense of justice and faith. Um, and there's a vulnerability there as well I mean there's not, Matt always has a certain vulnerability about him yeah uh, but I think it's very much on show here with whatever's going on well even him. when he was you know even when he's Daredevil he never thinks he's above the law yeah yeah you know Daredevil has always been one of my favourite characters because there's a strange opposition at work where he's a lawyer so fully respects the law but he's a vigilante who breaks the law to uphold the law mm-hmm. if you know what I mean so he's always been an interesting character but um but yeah, I mean, talking about faith in the book as well, I mean, obviously you had a lot of supernatural elements in Zdorsky's run uh, with ending up in hell and stuff like that. And clearly the character's run with supernatural isn't over. You know, the big villain of this issue is a demon who is possessing Electra, mm-hmm. which, you know, is trying to force Matt to get back in the game, even if his memories is Daredevil. They're, they're very much only fragments here. These sequences, the art's fantastic. Oh, it's a really, uh, really cool, really grotesque visual. So... Whenever the whenever you know, um, Electra is, is sitting sort of uh, casually on the bed, you know, with her elbow up on her knee, the demon sort of appears around her with his elbow, you know, posed in the same way she yeah. is, but but around her, and then whenever it moves, you know, sometimes the demon's head uh, replaces you know uh, Electra's head and body, you know, yeah. and, and and his body is sort of almost walking behind hers but attached to hers. It's very, very cool, very grotesque visual. 
Yeah, I mean, the visuals are great the whole way through it. I mean, there's a great full page where Matt's standing behind a locked door and on the other side of that, you see Daredevil sort of encased in smoke and it's almost like, is he going to let him in, you know? Yeah. Um, Uh, You know, you've got a little throwback to the old Frank Miller, you know, black-suited Daredevil, except he's, he's, you know, wearing the the priest clothing, but obviously with the, the rag wrapped around his head as he goes back to... His old muscle memory jumping over rooftops around uh-huh. Hell's Kitchen. What's he using as what's he using as batons there? Uh looks like a candlestick holes. Candlesticks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean grab whatever you can find. I mean he is yeah. blind, so you mm. know. He maybe thought they were billy clubs. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, 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 that visual of the demon on Electra, you know, persists throughout. Yeah, I mean the one thing I would say is that you do wonder if they're a little too quick to put Matt back into his Daredevil costume because um, by the end of the issue he's in full Daredevil regalia yeah and I, I everything maybe it's because it's double sized I suppose but everything that comes before it has constant battles really interesting plus I've always a soft spot for like the Frank Miller look of you well, know, that's a, yeah. Daredevil in black I would have happily had a few issues of that as well but Man Without Fear yeah it, it didn't skip a beat for me you know in, in a weird way I'm not sure if this is a compliment or not, but in a weird way, it's like Sadarsky didn't leave. But I mean just from the tone and the story thread. Yeah, content of the continuity, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, brilliant first issue, I thought. As I say, perfect for readers who've been with Sadarsky's run for the start, but also perfect for people who want to jump on to the man without fear. So yeah, Daredevil number one, Saladin Ahmed and Aaron Cooter, my second pick of September. Cool. Um... I'm going to uh, leave a Marvel uh, behind and uh, go back towards uh, Image uh, for uh, Simon Kudransky's Something Epic number five. Have you been reading this? I've got the first five issues. I've read, I think, three of them. It's okay. I find it a very rich and detailed world, and yeah. I'd rather have a few issues to it is, stockpile. It's, it's massively dense uh, with regard to the, the detailed art. Beautifully so, uh, the intricacy and the detail. And there's like a mixed media thing going on uh, where you've got these, uh, they're not quite painted, but they're, they're realistic characters, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they're paired against what look like 8-bit uh, yeah, characters or, or cartoon characters or uh, manga characters that are yeah. done in a cartoony sort of a style. Um, and that's, that's really, it's really cool, like nearly a mixed media sort of a thing, um, but very, very cool. The gist, the gist of this book is you have Dan, um, who is, it turns out, an epic. An epic is someone with uh, an imagination, they're, they're powered by imagination and their, their, their creativity, um, and their, their, their imagination manifests sort of around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they they create things that are then that are kind of real, but nobody else can see but them. Yeah. Um. And so he's been plagued by different characters throughout his his childhood, you know, and as a result, he's plagued by various uh sort of anxieties and mental health issues linked to his mother passing away and and all of these sorts of things, and he's tried to suppress this talent that he's he's known he's had. That in some ways it feels. There's definitely something here about the link between creativity and mental health. Yeah. Mental ill health. Uh, mental balance, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the vulnerability of that, you know, uh, that those particular, you know, creative talents. Um, 
And there, it feels like there's maybe something a wee bit autobiographical that, that uh, Kudransky is, is sort of saying here. But, but either way, uh, as an older man, uh, as an older person, uh, Dan is approached by someone called Alter and uh, is drawn into this world of um, where he, uh, he, end up, he ends up doing, doing battle with another epic um, mm -hmm. through the way he conducts himself in this battle. He's drawn into this place of pure imagination and creativity where he ends up meeting a lot of the creations that he has uh, almost unconsciously created or consciously yeah. created and discarded throughout his life. So these creations are, are attached to him, attached to the epics, but because they didn't do anything with them, they sort of kind of weather on the vine and go to this place, yeah. you know, and there's, there's, there's an almost religious uh, fernacity to, to what they want to do and, and, and where the story's going. It's... I mean, it, it's kind of hard to, if you haven't read it, it's kind of hard to describe what's what's going on, but it's a really, it's really unlike anything on the shelves at the minute, I think. It's a really comp compelling and sort of innovative sort of a sort of a story. And issue five, actually, was, was my favourite of the story so far. Everything in it is engaging. The characters are interesting. There was a few times I felt like a, a read dialogue and then a read back over dialogue to mm -hmm. sort of understand... You know those moments between characters. I found myself. I found myself. I found it stayed with me a wee bit after. Yeah. After I read it, so made an impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's that there's a spectacle of, of seeing. You know, it felt a wee bit. It feels a wee bit like a toy box. You know, you know, whenever you had a like a toy box when you were a kid and you cracked it open and you maybe had your your action figures. You know your He-Man action figures lying on a on a like a goofy teddy bear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. There's kind of that yeah. that sort of feel mix of worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very chaotic, but it's it's great fun. You know, um, the the story has become has be has become an epic. Has become much more epic as it's progressed. Uh, you know, above and beyond just how it looks. You know, because the first issue that I read really got it because I thought this looks cool. Um, you know, but. There's a there's a really gripping story, amongst the amongst the, the different characters that some of them are, are uh, are just similes for actual characters. You know they're they're off brand versions yeah. of you know characters that we know. The Wistock Convert. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah. So these clashing characters and these art styles. There's a very gripping story, uh, of of a man's journey. You know, and a, a creative's journey. To to conquer his fears and and to confront his his most painful the most painful parts of his history you know it's yeah. very very cool very cool book I will look forward to the next issue which I think is the last issue uh, I think it's a six issue mini and then I will look forward to having the chance to read it again mm -hmm. uh, sign of any good book yeah absolutely so uh, that is uh, Simon Kudransky's uh, something epic now. I think he's done he's done a lot of stuff for Marvel and DC and stuff. Over yeah, he did some. I think he did a Punisher yeah, run. Yeah. Was he the artist with Matthew Rosenberg? Perhaps could be. Could be. Um, he was the artist on a Steve Niles book called The Town Called Terror, which was, yeah, was rather right. good. Yeah. Uh, and he's got one coming out soon. I think it's called Blood Commandant mm -hmm. as well, which he's writing and drawing as well. So he's yeah. Clearly jumping into the uh, both sides of the creator spectrum instead of just being an artist, but being absolutely. So yeah, great, uh, great book from Image. I think it's, uh, I think it's due another issue. I'm looking forward to the finale yeah. and uh, trade. I would say. Yeah, it'll make a, it'll make a lovely trade. I'd say. Something epic, Simon Kudransky. Uh, so Keith's second pick there. My third pick is uh, once again going back to the world of Marvel. 
Uh, and this is a book, Werewolf by Night. This is a one-shot. Uh, it is a horror-themed one-shot from the mind of Skullduggery Pleasant writer Derek Landing. And just while we're talking about Skullduggery Pleasant, isn't there something coming up you want to talk about? There is indeed. There's a little signing event with uh, Mr. Landing and also Mr. PJ Holden, uh, writer and artist of the first ever Skullduggery Pleasant graphic novel, Bad Magic. That'll take place in store Saturday the 4th of November cheap plug done Ooh. but if you want to bring that this <laughs> werewolf by night you can get this signed as well or uh, or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier Falcon Winter Soldier Captain, Captain America Iron Man, Iron Man yeah, all Avengers all sorts of stuff but yeah as ever with our signings always a free signing 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock so looking forward to, to hosting those guys oh, we yeah, yeah. did a little podcast with them recently as well and did, uh, did a deep dive into the whole process for Skull Maybe you'd be so kind as to get uh, something signed for me. I unfortunately will be in some I'll speak. get them to sign in yeah. Spanish too. Yeah, please, thanks. It's no problem. Two Northern Irish men <laughs> signing books in Spanish. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, one Irish and one Northern Irish. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so Werewolf by Night, as I say, art is by uh, Fran Gallen, who's you know well known in the world of Spider-Man. This was right up my street. Uh, just tons and tons of fun. You know, Werewolf by Night finds Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone intersected on an overlapping mission to stop a black magic scientist from opening the gates to hell. So, if you're in the mood for a good straightforward horror adventure, lots of monsters, fights, charm, wit, you know, you're in for a treat. I mean, having now read uh, the Skullduggery Pleasant graphic novel, uh, I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of it. You can see Derek Landy excels when he's writing character dynamics, characters with a history, back and forth banter. Clearly the Irish, you know. Uh, but yeah, so the set, the script centres, as I said, on Jack Russell, a.k.a. Werewolf by Night, and Elsa Bloodstone, they run into each other in Bavaria. They're, they're on different missions to rescue a kidnapped girl who is destined to be uh, the central sacrifice in Doctor Necromantic's world-ending ritual. Uh, when the supernatural heroes clash, they decide to partner up because what is a good superhero book with two people where they butt heads first if they don't team up, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they reminisce about their romantic past, you know, while they slash, bite, and shoot their way through a spooky castle full of monsters. Uh, but unfortunately, what they don't realize is the Doctor's timetable is much sooner than expected, which leads to demon kings invading darkness and a lot of tentacles. <laughs> but yeah, the, the entire issue is just pretty great. Uh, you get plenty of werewolf and monster action, a large-scale threat worthy of the team. You have an entertaining sort of tonal mix of mostly humour with that charming wit. You know, the tone isn't jokey. There are scares through it, as there should be. But Landy's really, really good at injecting humour at just the right spots just to alleviate the tension and create that endearing quality between the two characters. Yeah, excellent comic. You know, it slips into the world of cosmic horror with style and humour. Um, just a gem of a one-shot. It shows how much you can do with just a one-shot story. And it really did leave me wanting more. And I kind of hope he makes a return to it at some point. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Werewolf by Night. And again, we'll have copies of this in store. I've managed to get some in uh, as well for said signing in November. Cool. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, Elsa Bloodstone, daughter of Monster Hunter Ulysses Bloodstone. Uh, who I think originally appeared in uh, Werewolf by Night or Jack Russell stuff as well, so it's a bit of a legacy. Nice. Mm. Well, we're going to stick with the slightly horror-tinged mixed with the superheroes for your next choice. Oh, man. Uh, another chunky, chunky issue uh, like uh, Daredevil and a few other books we've talked about. Um, Predator versus Wolverine, number one. 
Marvel obviously continuing to make excellent use of their 20th Century Fox Studios licenses uh, as they have done through Aliens, Predator and Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is the one we've been waiting for. Especially whenever you see writer Benjamin Percy's uh, name. Current Wolverine writer. Yeah, absolutely. Ghost writer, writer. X-Force writer. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, Ken Lashley is the artist on the present stuff. And Greg Land is the artist on the past, the past. stuff. Uh, and yeah, this is, uh, this, is, this is fantastic stuff. As the man who usually is the one doing the hunting uh, finds himself the prey across various points. In history, we kick off in Canada, present day, where Wolverine is in bits, and uh, his old, uh, his old um, brown and uh, brown and tan costume, and uh, there's a chunk out of his arm. You can see an adamantium bone and joint poking out there, and he's just holding the thing on, and he's he's just in absolute bits, and it's not getting any better for him. And as then you see those iconic three red dots. Yeah, yeah. There's so much cool stuff here, and. We see the we see the predator, you know the the view from the predator yeah. heat vision, you know, and uh, you can just hear, you can almost hear the view, mm. you know, uh, and uh, yeah, you see there was you say there was a comic uh, three red dots, and uh, yeah, this is just this, and then the, you know the visuals of the predator appearing, it's just it is just moving perfect, and the the significance of the 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 predator's claw going, you know, <laughs> as opposed to yeah. snick. And there, you know, yeah, it's it's just it's very 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 cool stuff, um, but this book doesn't just want to to show one fight. This wants to show multiple, multiple. fights across multiple periods and of time. rematches. Absolutely, and better than that, it's not just a slugfest, because Benjamin Percy is a hell of a storyteller. Um, he, uh, you know, it's a great structure. We begin, you know, in in the middle of the action. Wolverine is bloodied, he's brutalized, and that's just the first taste of what's to come. As you know, this one issue, and it's going to be, I think it's a four issue mini or something, mm -hmm. is it? You know, is you know, it, it it uses multiple periods of Logan's life, going all the way back to the turn of the century, where we see Wolverine as a as a young man. So this is very very you know with bone claws. So this is very very closely post origin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that uh, that's right there, and he's in the Alaskan territory circa 1900 um whenever the uh whenever the predator ship flies over and drops the predator out and i think i don't know for sure but i think uh that there's a reference here to the latest predator movie prey mm -hmm. uh i think I, I mentioned this yeah to you at the time whenever i read it but we see a predator encased in ice and the predator has got uh arrows and such lodged in it and are the, the the nineteen hundred predator uh takes the takes the predator's glaive weapon, uh, the frozen predator's glaive weapon. But I think that is that's suggesting that that's the predator from prey frozen in a river, uh, and that's cool, you know. And I always I think Benjamin Percy has obviously seen prey, and gone, because prey was a great. I'll movie. use that elsewhere. Yeah, or or I like this idea of of predators various predators yeah, different various timelines. Yeah. yeah, you know, and who's a great character to do that with? Oh. Wolverine, who is functionally immortal, you know, and has been around since the 1800s. Uh, so yeah, very, very, very cool stuff. Um, it's, uh, and we, we nip back then to, yeah, to that. So we've got this, this young Wolverine drinking in a bar. We've got a bit of a huckster who uh, wants to, to use him for something. But 
you know, it's a very, it is an action-packed comic. It's a beautiful-looking comic. Greg Land's art, no matter what you think of his tracery or, you know, tracing porn or whatever it is he does, you know, it looks great. It looks really, it looks really good. Um, you know, the script itself is also brilliant. Uh, it's the the script is found mostly in the the narration, which obviously is written from Wolverine's point of view, um, and that's uh, the narration is beautifully descriptive whenever he describes the injuries he sustained. You know, you know the, de the details beyond what we actually see. You know, which is which is kind of cool. Uh, and it's always gruff and always honest and it's cool that we don't see anything from the you know we don't see any narration from the Predator yeah. because that was one of the cool things about the original Predator movies was that the Predator was mysterious yeah. he was just a hunter you didn't see inside his head you know yeah he didn't need to know motivation yeah like absolutely and, uh, and that's you know the motivation here clearly is the Predator has found the ultimate prey in Wolverine you know um, a worthy adversary. Yeah, all you all you really hear from the the predator is the really authentic creepy predator noises. You know, I've never really looked at a predator's feet. Those things are massive. Are <laughs> they? Yeah. But it's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, this is this book is just absolutely chock full of uh, of glorious violence, cool predator moments where you know it takes out its. It's first aid kit and psh, you yeah. know injects itself and uh, whenever its mask comes off or it takes off its mask, you know that sort of thing. Uh, the upside down skin bodies, you know, it's all there. Yeah, all the touchdowns. Yeah, absolutely. You get two of the most. Um, and a and a great end for the huckster. Oh, what a prick! He absolutely deserved that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's these are I mean Wolverine and the Predator are two really bloodthirsty hunters you know yeah. uh, and, and fiction there and they're together uh, to do what both of them do best yeah uh, you know um, the, the, the skipping between time points class um, you know it gives it gives the predator uh, you know that means the predator has been in the Marvel Universe for the guts of 150 years you know yeah. whenever, whenever it hasn't really but it gives it a wee bit of history you know um, and they just, it's just a very, I think we talked about, uh, last month we talked about um, X-Men 25 being quite brutal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is this is the scene. It doesn't get much more hardcore than this. No, uh, as you say, upside down, skin yeah, bodies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there is a real cool, uh, there's a real cool moment where the Predator goes after um, and the Team X uh, with Sabretooth and Sabretooth and Maverick and whatnot are hunted by the Predator yeah. as well, which is great. So, uh, so yeah, some cool, some cool stuff. Um, you know, each fight is just brilliant. Each connection between Wolverine and the, the Predator is class. There's the quiet time periods where, uh, you know, Wolverine's taking stock or trying to figure out what the hell just happened, and just you know he's raging to get, you know, to get his revenge, you know, whatever. So, absolutely brilliant. The artists clearly enjoy themselves, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, to seeing seeing what happens what happens next because the last couple of pages do not look good for Wolverine or Team X. No. Uh, you know, and I think that's what we're aiming for next issue is uh, says at a time when Logan barely knows his own name and is running black ops side by side with Sabretooth Maverick as Team X, how can he make it through round two with a predator that he doesn't remember fighting? So uh, yeah, pretty cool. 
Yeah, and the preview art there just looks like the Jesse Ventura character in yeah, Peter Wong's The Huge Chain Gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what did you reckon? Yeah, it was just great, great yeah. fun. You know, it's the first Predator movie is rightfully iconic. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other movies are of varying quality. I still haven't watched Prey. I really do something about Man, that. Prey, for me, was, was up there with the first one. Yeah, a lot it of was, people have said yeah. the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's been pretty much universally praised, so I really do need to read it, but... Yeah, no, as you say, just a lot of care. You can almost tell that Benjamin Percy's a Predator fanboy. Yeah, absolutely. So how many little nods yeah. can I throw in here? How many yeah. touchstones can I hit? Yeah. Uh, again, a big popular title in store, you know, on a lot of pull lists. Yeah. Uh, and I believe issue two is next week. I think, I think so, hope so. I'll probably read it in about three weeks, David. Um, You'll read it in, in, in time for the October podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we're still talking September here. So that was Predator vs. Wolverine number one. And we move on to my fourth pick, uh, which is something that you're not ready, I believe. No, uh, I'm not. Again, uh, this uh, breaks my heart. I know that. I know it. Uh, it is black label, silly size, isn't it? Uh, no, it's black no, label, black normal label size. size. Why did I not read this? I didn't read it because I had a lot of Batman on my. Uh, not like this. List and I know. I'm about to tell you why. Okay, tell me why. So first of all, I should say I have both cover A and I was seduced by a variant of this. Ooh. It's a Frank Miller variant. No, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. The jock coloured. Okay. Look at that piece of beautiful art mm. right there. Oh, glorious. Anyway, mm. so Batman Gargoyle of Gotham is the title I'm talking about and I'm about to explain why Keith is going to borrow this before I go home tonight. <laughs> Written and drawn by Raphael Grandpa, this is what Black Label was made for. It's completely standalone. It's a dark, bleak and ominous tone. It's an auteur creator who has, le- has been left alone to realise his vision, writing and drawing one of the absolute best Batman the ones in year. Whisper it quietly. This might be the best single issue of the year. Ooh. I, 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 hyperbole Ooh. is not enough here. So yeah, this this dark, strange Batman tale, it was actually first hinted at. Um, I don't know if you read the Dark Crisis one-shots. I don't know if I did either. But there was one called The Big Bang, and during the Flash's exploration of the restructured DC universe, Barry Allen finds himself on Earth-46, which is home to a grim young Batman with a unique, unrecognisable rogues gallery. Right. So that was a hint that this... So Gargoyle of Gotham, it takes place in its own self-contained continuity. This is what makes Black Label so appealing to new adult readers. You know, there's no need to learn years or decades worth of continuity to understand a character's place in the world. You can jump in the deep end and be on equal footing, whether you're a long-time reader or this is your first ever comic book. So this Gotham City is bleak with a capital B. You know, it's an absolute cesspit where the worst crimes are commonplace and all too frequent. So of course Batman is here, you know, he's doing his best to cleanse the city. It's a young Batman, I should say, as well. But while he is driven and resourceful, he's also burning in anger all the time at how much the city is suffering. You know, he worries that he's not doing enough, despite Alfred's protestations to the contrary. So he comes up with this plan early on in this issue. What he's going to do is he's going to publicly kill Bruce Wayne after he's done with his latest case so that he can focus all of his efforts on cleaning up Gotham with zero distractions or need to keep up appearances. But before he can do that, um, he has to deal with a new villain called Crytoon. Crytoon. Crytoon, a new violent with uh, an extreme, a new villain, sorry, with an extremely violent streak who models his actions on old 1930s style cartoons. Ooh. Not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 
Crytoon is a horrible and intriguing creation. He focuses on these 1930s tropes from cartoons such as anvils falling on people's heads. Oh, right. Okay. But the result in the real world is much more yes, grotesque, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also another serial killer who's stalking the streets of Gotham as well, killing people with no rhyme or reason, no connections to each other, completely unrelated. However, Detective Gordon, because of course he is the best cop, he's able to pull out a connection by the end of the issue. Okay. All the victims were patients under Dr. Charles Quinton of Arkham Asylum's Children's Wing. Um, one of the former, uh, one of the doctor's former patients was a certain Bruce Wayne. How oh, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. Every page of this is intense. You know, again, this is a Gotham that is dirty, it's crime-ridden, it's corrupt to the core, and more notorious and violent than perhaps any other Batman story outside of The Dark Knight Returns. And anyone who knows my reverence for that story knows I don't make that comparison lightly. You know, the art is absolutely amazing. I'm just going to hand it to you and let you have a wee flick through that. You know, those not familiar with Raphael Grandpa's work will be astounded at just how good this artwork oh is. Oh my, that is, that is lovely. You know, there are stretches where the artwork is simple black and white, you know, with splashes of colour, mainly when dealing with the villain cartoon, you know, evoking the look of all of those 1930s cartoons. The amount of craft and detail is just awe-inspiring in this book. You will struggle to find a better-looking book on the, on the racks this year. So suffice to say, I was quite a fan of this. You know, we have Batman presented both as an action hero and the world's greatest detective in one book. But these characterizations are never at odds with each other. You know, we have the stripped back Batman in terms of no bat family, no, you know, no commitments, just pure drive and commitment to a mission with Alfred on hand to be both his conscious and parental figure. So very nice. do yourself a favor. Only one issue has dropped so far. Do everything you can to get your hands on this. this still, still got it in store. Still got it in store. Alrighty. It is unbelievably good. Um, and and it remind me of. Um, do you ever read any of the works of Paul Pope? Yep. That sort of yeah, art to that's me. That's exactly that's exactly what it was. Most I couldn't have put my name on it and um, name to it, but yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Cool. You know, it's 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 not too dissimilar in tone to the Batman with Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very dark. It's detective driven. Um, and it does focus a lot on the relationship between Gordon and Batman which is great to see as well so uh, oh, it's just uh, like when yeah. I was writing my review for this I was just I, I just wanted to sit and read it again uh, maybe uh, fire one on my pool list I might, I might box have, tomorrow will you I might I'll just look at that oh, it's pretty cool oh it's done I mean I noticed that it's not a, it's not a visual medium here but yeah it's, it's... and also the other thing is that you know what will probably just push Keith just about to jump on this it's not silly size Proper square bound, size of the Dark Knight Returns, 60 page issue one, perfect. Nice, nice. So that is uh, Gargoyle of Gotham number one. Okay. That was my fourth pick, and uh, my fifth pick may or may not surprise you, but yeah, I, I maybe should have finished on that, because that for me is book of the month. Yeah, okay. With Gargoyle um, of Gotham. Although you're about to talk about another I'm going to talk about uh, what was my book of the month actually uh, now, but uh, I'm following up with yours because uh, we're sticking with DC and we're sticking with number one. Um, and what we have in our pause is Wonder Woman uh, number one um, by Alan. <laughs> we really need a wee theme song for like the cult of King. <laughs> Some sort of chant or something. It is by Mr. Tom King, Tom King. and Daniel Samper on oh, art. art. So yeah, we have, uh, we have Tom King kicking off uh, Wonder Woman for the dawn of DC. Not a character that has ever held an awful lot of interest uh, to me since the original Wonder Woman TV series yeah. uh, back in the 80s uh, with Linda Carter. Um, 
but yeah, never has never really grabbed me in comics. Didn't really grab me in the movies. Um, you know, the Wonder Woman movie was for me. It was one scene really, uh, which was the No Man's Land. Uh, what? No Man's Land, where she goes across and during the war. No. It's like no man has crossed this battlefield. No, no. What's your one scene? No, the scene at the very start of Wonder Woman where she takes them apart in the bank. And they first have the. That's in the. That's in just. That's in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's, well, it's in the original Justice League as well. Not, no, not as well done. So no, well, maybe it's that. So maybe there was one good no, thing. No, but no man's not seen that. You know, like the first. I like. I love the first Wonder Woman movie. Second one. Second one is not rubbish, great at yeah. all. Uh-huh. But the first one, you know, the war setting, you know. Oh yes. Chris yeah, the, Pine. Yeah, yeah, that's that was it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and the, the 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 combination of the uh, of the music as yeah. well, the, the Wonder Woman theme. Show. Before it became overused. And, yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that first movie for me is pretty. But great. yeah, um, so this this does uh, what uh, all of those Wonder Woman movies uh, did, but does it much much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The gist, uh, and Daniel Sampier's heart is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at there's a echoes of Jim Lee and Jason yeah, Faber. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, a mysterious um, Amazonian uh, in America is accused of uh, of mass murder uh, in uh, I can't remember what state it is, uh, whatever. But um, there are uh, she's in a bar uh, playing pool. She gets groped in the bar. Um, she smashes the uh, head of her, her, her abuser into the table. Uh, some of the abuser's friends pile on. They try and smash a pull cue over her head. They smash a pull cue over the head. The pull cue smash snaps in two. Uh, he gets grabbed by the throat and then we see it from outside and it's just blood splatters and, uh, and gratuitous violence. Uh, and, and we only have to wait five pages before there is... A nine panel page. Nine panel strip page structure, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, which which gave me echoes of Dark Knight Returns, because Dark Knight Returns is all about the news reports and sensationalism of the yeah, media. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of and there's uh, a lot of this here. Yeah, there's a there's there's a sniff of Watchmen about it as well yeah. in that respect, you know. But yeah, so the Amazonian is accused of mass murder. Congress passes the Amazonian Safety Act. This all happens very very quickly. It's all a downward spiral, uh, barring all Amazons from U.S. soil. To carry out the plans, the government starts this task force, which is the Amazonian Amazon Extradition Entity, ACTS, of course, is the, is the acronym there, to remove those who won't comply by any means necessary. And uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Diana, Diana Prince, you know, is living in America uh, with Steve Trevor, and she is now uh, on the search for truth behind the killing, and she finds herself an outlaw in a world she once swore to protect now yeah i mean there's obviously this is uh, this is tom king uh so you know it doesn't you don't have to search too deeply for the the socio-political the meaning political of this, stuff you yeah know, the, the way of Amer- america's actions uh you know with regard to race with regard to um i suppose uh you know islamophobia is, is maybe in there there's definitely is definitely taking aim at gender bias and, and toxic masculinity, but he does it without without uh, taking his eye too far from Diana yeah. and, and what she uh, and who she is at her core, which is of course is an Amazon, uh, and that means she is going to side with her Amazonian sisters who are being persecuted by uh, by the American uh, the American right, uh, embodied by who is the uh, is the soldier in charge of the 
AXE. He is uh, Steel Sergeant Steel. Sergeant Steel. Yeah, he's got a cool kind of a cool kind of a story, um, but he almost comes across as an anti-Steve Trevor. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's one thing that she's worried about as well is that Steve might be harmed in all of this sort of retribution. Yeah. So, you know, he definitely, as I say, he definitely shows his awareness of various racial and gender tensions, but moves the story along without becoming bogged down in that sort of yeah. exposition, you know. The the panel layouts are by Daniel Sumper are absolutely dynamic. Uh the the fight scenes are everything that you hoped the fight scenes would be in the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. You know, uh even the cool scene where she you see the point of her uh of her tiara where she uses it as a boomerang. Just she's just you know, she she fires it like Captain America's shield, and then she's straight in with a with a lasso of truth and the feet and the hands, and then catches it on the way back. You know, she's deflecting bullets with her bracelet. There's some great, uh, yeah, the action just flows. It's so fluid. Uh, you know, the, there's the 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 direness of the situation. You see Steel's face there whenever he realizes his men are about to be taken apart. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, the the story changes. It's got multiple locations. You know this graveyard uh you know the the house of the the amazonian couple and their children and uh you know from paradise island to to, to washington dc it's just phenomenal stuff um yeah just just really good really good story really well paced uh, great action and great looking action and uh and then this um you know this sort of reveal at the end of the of the you know although america supposedly a democracy and uh, never had a sovereign it actually does have some sort of a crooked old sovereign royal family who have always been in charge of america and have uh, <laughs> have uh, created the the illusion of democracy uh, through the the sovereign held <laughs> and because their sovereign held the lasso of lies <laughs> uh, of course it's an old white dude america believed yeah so that that was th- this is kind of cool this is so it's it's, it's obviously a, quite blatantly it's wonder woman versus the sovereign yeah patriarchy you know so brilliant stuff brilliant stuff absolutely yeah. action packed i would say there are uh, insecure white males all across the uh, all across the us and the world going off at this probably probably <laughs> but that's that's their loss to be honest i mean yeah. i just love the fact that it jumped into a world where Amazonians exist, they're integrated into society, yeah. Wonder Woman exists, there's a rich history there. It wasn't the number one with a naive Diana or another origin story yep. or mm-hmm. here's time in Themyscira and now I'm, I'm gonna send you to, you know, so you know, help the world of man. Uh, this was yeah, I mean there's a wee bit of Themyscira and her mother in there somewhere. That's there. what I mean, there's yep, bits yep. in there, but it's not like Diana at the start, you know, fish out of water like the movie and stuff was. Yeah, yeah. This was very much like she's an absolute badass in this. Yeah, total badass. You know, yep. there to be feared, clearly a part of the Trinity. Um, I'd, be, I'd be interested to see if she ends up up against. That's or, what I was thinking as Batman well. Batman and Superman and... Uh, yeah. That's what I was thinking as yeah. well. But yeah, just the, the spreading of lies throughout the book is just very pertinent. Propaganda, you, know, you might say. The distortion of facts. Um, uh-huh. You know, she has that fight, obviously, with all the trained soldiers and Sergeant Steel and stuff. And he tries to say, like, oh, I gave you a warning, you know, a chance to do it peaceful and... Dan is like, you shot at me before I moved. Why are you lying? Mm-hmm. I've got no idea what you mean. You know, 
I came here with all my men, come to think of it, and you got aggressive, you know. So it's it's all about, you know, it's it's not about the truth, it's about who can tell the best story. Yeah, that's a very, uh, very, very current, you might yeah. say. Yeah. So, you know, like, again, I, I spoke about this before, like, since becoming a dad, but certain scenes now have a deeper impact on me. A deep, deeper resonance. And this, this idea of, like, a mum being shot to pieces outside her door. Yeah, yeah. And her daughter hearing mommy, what was that? And uh, then coming... Like, yeah, it's yeah. really, really powerful storytelling, yeah, yeah. especially because you've got Sergeant Stevenson standing there with a, excuse my French, shit-eating grin on his face. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like, oh, well, ain't that something? We've got these new bullets they cut through Amazonian steel and you're just yeah, like... Yeah. Oh, it's the Arsenal, kind of character yeah. you can't wait to see you yeah, taken yeah, down. Absolutely. You know, but yeah, no, absolutely wonderful first issue. You know, one of my favorite pages was this one where a, a dad and his daughter are being interviewed about what they think about Amazons. And at the start of the interview, he's like, look, I'm not against these people. People are people, you know, let me tell you, my daughter here dressed as Wonder Woman for Halloween this year. By the end of the page, he's like, I'm just saying whatever dude's saying, we got to do something before they wipe us all out. The escalation yeah, over the yeah, course yeah, yeah. of an interview, how opinions change, narrative changes on a dime. Like, he, he visibly gets angrier through the scene. Yeah, yeah. While yeah. his daughter's just standing there going, pew, 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 you know, pretend yeah, to be yeah. Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, burning first issue. Um, I pushed the heck out of this for people. I've got loads of number ones in uh because i do think this is class yeah oh it's great it was yeah my my book of uh, my book of september i think september a dc dominated month oh look at that and we're about to talk about another absolutely fantastic dc book uh which is my fifth pick of this month and if you have already listened back to the uh the august review show you know, you know we try our best not to speak about specific issues too much you know we we obviously have a lot of variety in our pull list a lot of different titles but sometimes you just got to talk about the same title a couple of times because they're just that good in august i talked about the penguin number one and here we are the cult of king continues (laughs) with the penguin number two and this book came out of nowhere to be one of dc's best books on the shelves so quickly so issue two of course tom king rafael de la torre on art again, uh, Marcello Maiolo on colours, again worth mentioning because the colours of this book are fantastic. So this is uh, essentially Oswald is trying to make his way back to Gotham, but he knows he's not going to go back and just settle back into his old life. He's going to need help. So along the way, he stops at a house and uh, this, this issue is subtitled The Return of the Help. So the help was a character introduced by Tom Keane in a six issue miniseries, Batman Killing Time. And uh, this is his return here. But what I love is the the cover alone sets the tone for this entire issue. He's looking down his nose at Oswald. He calls him a disgusting man. But he does still have manners about him, like an aura where he's totally out of the pleasure. You disgusting man. And you um, notice that uh, he's got a, an umbrella. and uh, An umbrella in one hand and a knife behind and the back with the other. Back, yeah. mm-hmm. So th- this continues the idea of Oswald being underestimated at all times. So once again, just similar to Penguin number one, which was all narrated by different characters and how they see Oswald, this one is narrated by the help. Uh, so um, well, wait, whatever you say, it's not by the help of the character, but... Because this, this is... It's the, it's the character of the help and also... His help. His helper. But, yeah. but again, it's it's all about different points of view of, different, yeah, of Oswald. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rather there's than the, him uh, narrating it. There's the footman and there's the server and the... You know, the, the, so yeah, there's there's yeah. yeah, there's different colors. The doctor, to, yeah, later. 
there's there's different colors to represent the different sort of um, points yeah. of view from different people. But yeah, basically he comes to ask the help for, well, help. He says, you know, I'm going back home, take back what's mine. It will be violent. It will be bloody. I'll need some hard muscle on my side, some help, if you will. And the help just basically laughs at him. And he's just saying, like, oh, a great line. And I always thought the Joker was supposed to be the client. <laughs> you know, and Oswald starts to take this personally. You're laughing at me. I'm here to ask for your help. So Oswald is very tenacious here. He's not going to accept no for an answer. So he, he sticks around. You know, they have dinner. He says, you know, I tend to get what I need. They go shooting together. You know, the help always has is always a step ahead of him. He mm-hmm. cracks Oswald across the nose with the butt of his gun. We're also through, through the, the narratives. We're also introduced to each of the helps, yeah, servants. You know, which yeah, whoever significant later on. Very much so, very much so. But the whole way through the book, it's just you know Oswald being underestimated, and that all leads to a frankly exquisite scene of revenge, to say the least. Um, you know, because this is the thing, because he the help is underestimated Oswald the whole way through. He never feels in any danger. He never feels he's got all of his helpers around him. Mm-hmm. What's what's this fat little man going to do he's to him? Ninety two years old, but he's in great shape. Yeah, he's a great martial artist. He's a great fighter. He's a great shooter. He's great a fencer. Very, very yeah, clever man. So he's extremely resourceful. All airs and graces, and then out of nowhere, Oswald pulls out his umbrella, shoots one of them in the head, and is sort of saying, "How dare you, my own in my own home?" But by this point, Oswald has poisoned him. But this is this is where like they even use a nine panel scene here. Of course, they do. Uh, sort of showing him being drugged and then going in and out of consciousness and then he wakes up with like the just such amazing art for this you know such terror in his eyes Delator. and you get this beautiful double page spread where all of the help are dead everyone we've met through the every single one of them and Oswald's sitting there as calm as you like as callous as you like your attendants are with us as well in body if not spirit <laughs> And then he ultimately, you know, he just gets so excessively violent towards the end. Whack, you know, whack, whack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just absolutely fantastic stuff. And beats him into submission, effectively. Yeah, 100%. Um, just a brilliant, brilliant issue. Again, great exploration of character. A great um, a great assessment of just why the Penguin has been an enduring foil for Batman for cent- or centuries, for yeah. decades. You know, um, yeah, and it's a. I mean, the first issue, you know, Oswald was was forced into this. Yeah, he he was content where he was. Now he's he enjoying was, it. Now he is the penguin again. Yeah, you know, he's uh, yeah, absolutely. And he um, and he's arrived here with the plan because anytime he gets struck with violence or anything like that, he doesn't immediately retaliate. No, he just keeps that in his mind. No, absolutely. Like, it was the same as you know, uh, last issue. The the guy in the park sort of abused him, and he just sort of the guy in the, you know, and the, the 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 guy in the flower shop, and then the, the the agent, what do you call her, Espinosa? Yeah. Sent him on this quest, you know. Um. So yeah, it was it was, and the fact that you know he has this plan, he kills the doctor first, and then uses the doctor's poisons to yeah poison the help and even know. just having the doctor narrating it and you know the words are starting to slow down and oh, he's he getting can't. strangled and and again it's just it's full of great lines you know be comforted you are dying in service and unlike your employer you're being helpful yeah, yeah just wonderful wonderful book um can't wait for issue three again mm-hmm. and uh yeah my fifth pick of the month of september yeah, nice one i had never heard of the help before uh, you kindly explained it to me earlier on. I must throw you my, my killing time. Um, I think I've got the graphic novel of it. Uh, I must throw it to you. It's six issues. It was, 
it was a really good story as well for the simple reason that at the time it seemed every new bat book had to introduce new villains and right. first appearances and this and that and Tom came went hold on a second Batman has one of the best rogues gallery in comics let's do a story with Penguin Catwoman and the Riddler mm-hmm. great stuff but yeah Penguin number two my last one of the month what is your final parting title my final parting title was staying with uh, staying with Image and we are venturing back to the Energon universe uh, the burgeoning Energon universe yes indeed with uh, issue four of uh, that particular universe's inaugural title Void Rivals by uh, by comic word legend uh, Robert Kirkman and uh, his compatriot Lorenzo de Felice who joined him on Oblivion Song uh, and uh, does so again using a visual language that is related to while being significantly evolved and different from Oblivion Song um, so I could easily have picked any issue of Void Rivals I have loved this book yeah. uh, not I mean obviously the first issue had the, the reveal. oh my god yeah. Jetfire you know and there's been a few sprinklings since and there also is in this but I mean th- this is like a modern take on the Dennis Quaid movie Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. movie Enemy Mine mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of seeing no. it if not you should it is a sci-fi classic okay um, the crux of it is uh, uh, Dennis Quaid is a, a space pilot a fighter pilot uh, he's engaged, they're engaged, the humans are engaged in a, in a long war against another race of lizard-like creatures. Uh, Dennis Quaid's character and uh, one of these creatures uh, fight over this planet and their ships. They shoot each other down and they are now marooned in this planet together with only each other to depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's all sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and it, it's phenomenal, you know, and, and Kirkman is a man of roughly the same age as me. Uh, he enjoys the same things. I have no doubt that he has seen Enemy Mine. So, so yeah, issue four sort of raises the stakes and widens the scope of this, this eons-long conflict between these two races that mm-hmm. both reside in, like a on a planet or two planets that seem to be partially sucked into a black hole called the Sacred Ring. Uh, and it definitely it is an updated updated version on Enemy Mine, an updated twist, and it's set in the Energon universe, which is obviously shared, as we know, with the Transformers, mm-hmm. the first issue of which I uh, the first issue of which I read this week and oh my god. Well, yeah, we'll be talking uh, about that next yeah, month. Absolutely. Um it uh, it's a great it's a great space drama. Uh, yeah, you know, keeps you keeps you entertained. So we last we last met our two uh, protagonists, Salila, and Darek. Uh, Darek is an an Agoran, and Salila is a Zertonian. They both live in different parts of the Sacred Ring. They are mortal enemies. They have been forever and ever and ever. Uh, and of course, our two uh, protagonists have now realised that with their helmets off, they look exactly the same, except yeah. they get slightly different shaped uh, shapes on their foreheads. Um, so they made it back to the perimeter of the Sacred Ring. They had rebuilt one ship from the remains of both their ships, uh, made it back to the perimeter of the Sacred Ring in their respective homes, and then without warning, Salila stunned Darek to take him prisoner uh, uh, in service of her commanders. And now, you know, we have the, we have the follow-on from that. Um, you know, they're still, still on board. The Heartbreaking sh- betrayal. Uh, but totally expected, because don't forget, Darek was a pilot. Salila is a soldier. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's, uh, you know, so 
what we've got here, well, first of all, we start off with, with a rather cool, <laughs> cool scene because, you know, Derek has this android, mm-hmm. which is effectively a glove that is an android that yeah, moves about the stuff. place, yeah. you know. And so that's kind of, he's unconscious and the android is, is kind of moving him about and trying to fight, you know, trying to fight her whenever he's unconscious. Doesn't really work out too well, you know, but uh, but it was, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool scene, you know, and that she's communicating with the android, but... But yeah, so we see uh, we see Salila's gift of an Agorian prisoner resulting her her praise, which quickly turns to suspicion after uh, Zalilak, the Zertonian leader, figures out that Salilo, Salila has seen Darek's face uh, and knows a secret that he clearly knows, mm-hmm. but she isn't supposed to know. Yeah. So it continues. I mean, first of all, I mean the the visual style, you know, the visual language that uh, that De Felisa uses here. Is it is similar to Oblivion Song, but Oblivion Song had that sketchy um, alien quality to it, mm-hmm. and this is this is a wee bit less that. It's more sterile. Yeah, a almost. wee bit more sterile, a wee bit cleaner, a wee bit more evolved. It's a it's a slightly different style. The helmets, the shapes of the helmets are cool, you know, and technology is cool. And of course, we have uh, and I don't think. Kirkman has to do this in this book. I think he's doing it because he's building no, I, the universe. This is my main takeaway from this book that I keep talking to people about is that even if it didn't have the links to Transformers, it would still be yeah. a brilliant book. Yeah, it's very But I think as you say, they're 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 trying to build a universe, they're peppering little things here and there. Um so the point is Shockwave from Transformers appears. Yeah. Uh you know, and he's having this uh conversation with the uh it's like a, what do you call it, Skullix, Scullion, whatever mm-hmm. thing, which is another kind of a uh, yeah, so there's all these wee, wee Transformers things sprinkled, but I mean, I guess the guts of it is that, you know, it, number four continues to build on the intricate storytelling and the great pacing uh, of the series. Uh, Robert Kirkman weaves a very, uh, very skillful narrative um, and explores the reactions to, you know, the Zertonians' reactions to Salilo's return and... Uh, you know, there's there's some revelations about their journey and their relationship to one another, and it's it's this mix of space politics and humor, uh, but I'd say this is I mean this is this is a great book. I'm I'm really loving it, and I loved, uh, I loved the end, the the sort of, uh, the the, the last three or four pages where uh, Zalilak, the Zertinian leader, uh, goes into a secret room, takes off his helmet. Uh, we already know what he what he kind of looks you know he looks kind of similar to yeah him, you know but he contacts uh the leader of uh the agorans mm-hmm. uh, who is uh Derek's father uh minister Dulin. and uh, so they're obviously in touch you know and uh he informs him that uh we we found the pilot he's your son uh and he knows this and he says do what you will he was lost to me long ago. But there's obviously a, a bigger conspiracy here with these yeah. two leaders of these are at are in talking terms, you know. It's it's so cool. <laughs> very, very good. What do you reckon of it? Yeah, that's as I say, I keep telling people, you know, it's a great book regardless of the Transformers things. That was obviously the hook in the first book and Kirkman is one of the last comic greats at trying to keep secrets and surprise readers and pull off big things and he certainly did that with the first Void Rivals, but Anybody who jumped on Void Rivals at the start is still with Void Rivals. So, and I think that's a testament to how good it is. It doesn't just have to be linked to Transformers and so forth. So, 
Yeah, no, really, really enjoying it so far. As you expect from any Kirkman book, let's mm-hmm. be honest. I don't think the man knows how to write a bad book. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. That's season two of Invincible. Although uh, Fire Power's coming to an end. Oh, it is, I know. And uh, I'd say the next issue is going to be a biggie. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, absolutely. But he, he knows how to finish the series too. Very true, you know. Even so, after 193 issues. Yeah, absolutely. So good, we read it twice. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was Void Rivals number four, which finished off Keith's uh, September picks. So that is all from us for this September. Uh, as ever, keep in mind the um, signing coming up in store. Hopefully I'll have dropped this in in time, so this is not dated horribly. But it is the first Saturday in November with Derek Land and PJ Holden. So again, bring your Werewolf by Nights and your Skullduggery Pleasants down to the store for our free signing event. Uh, hopefully we will be back with you before too long. We will have a previews pod coming soon. Uh, may need to be... Re- possibly record over interwebs depending on how much Keith wants to have his holiday interrupted (laughs) or I may just be flying solo on that one we shall see see, see. we shall see yeah absolutely doing a lot of travelling for work uh, recently and also getting away on a wee holiday in a couple of weeks Um, so very much uh, looking forward to that feeling again needed yeah, we will keep you up to date with the previews regardless, yeah. even if I have to fly solo on that one, we shall see. But a pleasure as always chatting through those comics. Now I just want to go and read them all again. Absolutely, and should a, uh, an odd-looking, big-nosed little man turn up at your door with an umbrella, don't let him in. Don't let him in and make sure he doesn't have a knife behind his back <laughs> and check your drinks. Hope you enjoyed this, guys, as ever. Again, any titles uh, appeal to you, just get in touch with Storm. We can always guide you on the best way to approach them. So, uh, again, hope you enjoyed this, and I look forward to seeing you in store soon. Good night. So, I've been Alan Taylor, and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Copying Heroes, and on Twitter, where Alan is at Copying Heroes 1, and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop, and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.